0: as far as tonight, we are going to kind of finish up what I've been uh, wanting to address with us, having to do with some of these social situations that are going on. So we've been talking about race and uh, what the Bible has to say about race. We've been talking about critical race theory, intersectionality. We talked about some of the different governmental economic models like socialism and democracy and communism. Uh, Last week we were talking about social justice and uh, all of these, are the aim is to say these are terminologies or phrases or Um, conversations that we are going to be hearing more and more often. And with that, we need to be aware as Christians, how do we respond? How do we interpret? How how do we absorb some of these different thoughts that are out there? We need to think about that. We need to be looking at the world through the lens of Scripture, not Scripture through the lens of the world. And so we need to be careful because it's not one of those things that this is necessarily a salvation issue, but it's something that's going to be happening, happening socially and culturally. That I I think that it's important for us as Christians and as a church to be able to speak to, be able to interact with and to be able to not be aware and not be caught flat-footed. There's one more terminology that I want to uh, talk about. There's other ones that are out there, but I know that uh, we need to move on in the next weeks ahead. So we're going to look at a terminology tonight. And now this isn't a new term. Some of you um, may, this may be the first time you've ever heard this term, but this is a term that really started back in 2010. It started showing up in some essays. It started showing up in some of your hip-hop culture, some of your music in 2010. 16, MTV named this one of the most influ- influential words amongst the emerging generation. This is something that you may not have heard of yet, but it is something that is you will most likely hear of in the future. And it depends on how you talk about it. I'm just going to use it as two words, and it's this terminology. Being woke. W-O-K-E. The idea of what it means to be woke, what wokeness looks like, who is woke, who is not woke. So sometimes we think at W-O-K-E, Ron. <laughs> So, so sometimes sometimes we will come to some of these and you know, it, we have, it, it can be a blessing and a curse. Being insulated to some degree from the coast, either the east coast or the west coast, we can be here and sometimes we only are hearing what our neighbors are hearing and I doubt many of us are faithful listeners at MTV. A lot of times we won't listen to the music where they're discussing this on. Sometimes we're not listening to the programs, reading the books, some of those things. And so we may not have ever heard of that before, but it's a terminology that whether it's being said explicitly, the effects of wokeness is something that we are going to be dealing with in an increasing way In the days ahead. So I want us to have not only awareness of what wokeness is, but then also have a framework with then how do we as Christians respond to this idea of wokeness. So wokeness as defined, has a dictionary definition, wokeness as defined is having or marked by an active awareness of systematic injustices and prejudices, especially those related to civil and human rights. If you go to Wikipedia... And you look at how that defines, I realize that is not a scholarly source, but it's still a a cultural source. Wikipedia defines wokeness as a perceived awareness of issues concerning social justice and racial justice. In other words, what they're saying is, is that when a person becomes aware and becomes knowledgeable about injustice or social issues, discrimination, their definition of racism, when a person realizes this is taking place, they are being woke and they are woking up to the reality around them. A way that they will define this. This isn't my illustration or my explanation. This is an explanation that you will sometimes hear from those that that are promoting woke They think back to 1999 when the movie Matrix was released. The main character in the movie was Neo. And he is having a conversation at one point of the movie with um, Morpheus. Morpheus was kind of the leader of the rebellion. And Morpheus gives Neo an opportunity. He says there is a red pill and a blue pill. You take the blue pill, you stay in your blissful ignorance, you stay in what you think is reality, you remain in the same state you're in, but if you take the red pill, you wake up... To what reality really is you are made aware of things that you didn't even know existed and it causes you to not only be aware of it but become active in addressing it. So you can either take the blue pill or the red pill. Well there are proponents today, especially when it comes to this idea of being wokeness and are saying the people that are woke are those that took the red pill. Those that chose to be aware, those that chose to see these things they don't claim to having invented or created it they're just saying that they're honest and aware that this reality is present that there are injustices that there is discrimination that there is um, racism in in the way that they would define it And, and those things exist and those that are satisfied with the blue pill just ignore it and just deny that it is taking place but those with the red pill have now become woke and they are now trying to address it one of the things that become confusing though is that woke can be a pretty broad label on who is who isn't and even what it means. You will hear people that are addressing addressing racism and injustices, social injustices as being woke. You'll hear some people if they disagree with another person, they will say, "Well, the reason that person is wrong is because that person is woke." Or they'll say the reason that person is wrong is because that person is not woke. But it becomes hard to try to really just define it as far as what it is they were saying. Sometimes it can be used, uh, Mo and I have talked about this, as a code word. It's something that they use. One person means something, but that may not mean the same thing to the other person. Some people have used it in a pejorative sense. The idea that we're going to speak ill of you, you know. Shelly calls me facetious, you know. That may be akin to her calling me Courtney didn't call me facetious. (laughs) did. Denise? Okay, Denise, I'm sorry. I, I'm so sorry. I'm so I I apologize. I apologize. So Denise would call me facetious. Some people use that to say, well, you know what, you're acting like that just because you are woke. Some people even use it as an ambiguous word where it's really hard to tell what they mean or what they don't mean. We were at uh, Falls Creek yesterday at the Fallback Youth Retreat. And at the end of the morning session, they were going to have a breakout session on loving your neighbor. And that was how it was defined as, we're going to do a breakout session helping teach these students how to better love their neighbor. So the breakout session begins, Todd Sanders comes out on the stage, he is a white guy, but he is also in charge of all the programming for Falls Creek, so he's not in charge initially of the tangible grounds, but he's in charge of all the programming for the eight weeks of Falls Creek, so he is kind of the leader that determines what is taught, what is instructed, the community. Communication. what they are trying to emphasize. He's in charge of that. He comes out as a white guy and then Fidel comes out. Fidel is a black musician, artist, rapper. Um, he had done a concert the previous night. He comes out as a man of color um, living up there in Broken Arrow and they come out and they start talking. And yes, they are talking about how we can better love our neighbor, but they're also talking about differences differences in backgrounds, differences in cultures, differences in uh, experiences, differences in how people are treated, and they're addressing how that we can better listen, better love, and better interact with those around us. And so somebody watching could say, well, you know what, Falls Creek is just being woke. And that's how they would use the terminology. Well, that's just a woke thing for them to do. Well, my concern or the reason why I'm bringing it up tonight is because my fear is that definition or that that philosophy can do some pretty detrimental things to the church. It can distract us, it can divide us or it can deter us from our mission. And sometimes we can get so focused on being this that we forget that God has called us to being that with me because what I want to do is I want to make an argument why I think we as a church should be woke but I'm going to use it in a different sense here in a moment but my concern is that if all we are is looking at the society and the culture and what is going here then we can often miss what God is trying to do total and worldwide one of the examples that I can think of is that right now we are going through a bit of a transition when it comes to the six seminaries within the SBC they are wrangling with how they can stay biblically faithful but also culturally relevant. And so there are some seminaries that have been tagged with saying, well, that seminary has gone woke. Now, that really doesn't affect most of you all, but as somebody that just graduated from the seminary back in May, it's something that I heard from time to time. Well, that seminary has gone woke or you have a parachurch organization and they say, we're going to commit that we're going to have a certain percentage of our leaders or our board that are going to be of minorities or of different ethnicities or different races, if you will. And some people would say, yeah, see, they're, they're going woke. You'll even have churches that I've heard of that they have purpose to bring on staff People and individuals with a different perspective, a different background, a a, a different agenda as far as who we're wanting to minister and how we minister to them. And so some people have said, not only are we woke, but that church is going woke. And I think that all has its place. I think what we should be more concerned about is being faithful to the kingdom of God and being faithful to what God has called us to do. And, and the danger is that we, we, we risk being more focused on social acceptability than kingdom purposes. And, and so what I want to do tonight is, in light of what sometimes the culture says that this is the definition of being woke, I want to articulate tonight and I want to do it in four different ways starting here in Luke chapter 10. But I want to make the claim or I want to make the statement that we as a church should be woke. And what I want to do is I want to go back to what the definition of wokeness is. What I read from the dictionary was that it's having or marked by an active awareness. And this awareness of social injustices, prejudices, awareness of social issues concerning racial justice and social justice, we should, as a church, be aware of the things that are going on around us. We should be aware of the needs that are going on around us. We should be aware of the ailments that are plaguing our society and our culture and the opportunities for us to minister as a church so what I'm going to do is I want to I want to give you um, based upon what I, I glean from scripture four ways that the church should be woke so I'm not going to initially use it as a code word I mean I'm not going to use it in some of the other frames that somebody may refer to I think it's one of those things if you look at the definition you say well should I as a Christian or should we as a church be that and I say yes we should be aware. We should be sensitive. We should be knowledgeable. And we should be looking for ways that we can better minister to those around us. And by the definition, we would then be woke. So, you're in Luke chapter 10. The first way that I want to point to you to that we should be woke is that we should be woke to mercy. You get to Luke chapter, 10, Luke chapter 10 and starting in verse 25 all the way down through verse 37. You get to the story of the Good Samaritan. Now I am not going to take the time to read that story in depth. Because I am going to assume that most all of us are already very familiar with what happens in the story. The Jewish man, as Jesus tells this parable, it's implied that there's a Jewish man that is heading down down, he gets accosted by robbers, he's laying half dead, Um, stricken in the ditch, and the other Jewish men come by him, do not help him, the Samaritan comes by, and the Samaritan helps him. And so the point that Jesus is making there in the story is that everyone should have an eye and an ear, everyone should be woke in that sense, to mercy. And what Jesus is trying to say in that story was he is acknowledging there is a great division between the Jews and the Samaritan. There was a great divide what we would define today as being a racial divide and this divide wasn't a biblical mandate you get back to the Old Testament and you see where God told the Israelites you be separate from these people you don't mix with those people they go into the promised land he says you drive out the Canaanites and you displace them if you will because I don't need them I don't want them intermingling and distracting you away but you fast forward to the New Testament picture there wasn't a mandate that the Jews be unmerciful to the Samaritans. The division came from what I would call a social construct. Uh, back in 2 Kings chapter 17 when it talks about the people being taken into exile and being removed from their homeland and the the, the uh, Babylonian ruler there at the time, he removed them from their area and it says there in chapter 17 and verse 24, it says the king of Syria brought people from Babylon, Kuthoth and Ava, Hamath, and another word that I can't pronounce, and placed. Them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its city. So from that point, the Israelites looked at the Samaritans and saying, You don't belong here. You don't deserve to be here. You're trespassers, if you will. And what that did was that caused a great division. And so what I think Jesus is doing is not only that he is trying to answer the, the uh, lawyer there in Luke chapter 10, but he's also trying to make the point that every single Christian should be merciful. And the mercy does not extend to the same skin color, same experience, same education. In fact, he says right there at the end of the parable, there in verse 36 of Luke chapter 10, he says, which one of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. We have no excuse as a church not to be woke. Mercy, not to be unaware that there are people right around us that need mercy. There's people all around us that need that grace mercy there are people all around us that are in need of kindness that is undeserved and I think that as a church if we're going to follow the definition of what it means to be awoke it says to be aware of some of these plights aware of some of these realities aware of some of these injustices and, and these social divisions be aware of that and we should be aware of that because we should be woke and aware that there are people all around us that need mercy I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that, recognizing that there's people within this zip code that we can be merciful to. Mercy is not a means of merit. Mercy is not a means of worth. Mercy is a means that because God has blessed us, we bless someone else. And we need to be merciful. Another way that I want to point you to comes out of James of James. Oh beautiful James. James gives us another picture of how we should be woke and I think and I want you to see with me that I think the writer in James is making the argument that we should be woke to generosity. Remember, when I'm talking about wokeness, I'm talking about an awareness. I'm talking about understanding. You're saying, yes, these these divisions are there. These injustices are there. These realities are there. Not everyone is treated the same way. Not everyone has what I have. Not everyone has the same experience that I have. There is divisions, and that's what they talk about being woke. I think we should be woke to generosity. You think about what James writes, the half-brother of Jesus, um, let's see there in verse 26 of chapter 1. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart this person's religion is worthless and then he describes what religion is he says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world now some people will say well Spence you don't understand we don't have to be generous we don't have to be benevolent to those around us see Jesus tells us we're always going to have the poor with us and in Matthew 26, 11, He does. When the lady comes in to anoint the feet of Jesus and the religious leaders are there, they're going, why did she do that? You could have sold that ointment and given the proceeds to the poor. And Jesus says, you will always have the poor with Me, but you will not always have Me with Me. But that isn't Jesus giving us a license to not be generous. And that's not Him saying, well, now you don't have to be benevolent. No, he, He's understanding that we as a church need to see that there is always a opportunity for us to be generous. I don't think we'll ever be able to eradicate poverty, but I don't think we should ignore it either. It should be one of those things that we just say, well, you know, it's the government's job to provide for them. You don't have a passage for that. Well, it's not my responsibility to provide for them. You don't have a passage for that. Oh, I I know. i said it myself. If they don't work, they shouldn't eat. And, you know, we can hide behind some of those things, But if God is telling us to be generous, then we need to ask ourselves, are we being generous? And we need to be aware that there are those that are being afflicted. That's what it says there in verse 27. We are to visit the orphans, the widows, in their affliction. Now, I understand that there is some affliction that is self-induced. I get that. Vice Disobedience, sin, some of those things can lead to affliction that becomes self-induced, and I'm not trying to say that we need to go and enable poor behavior, enable sin or enable vice. But you know there's sometimes affliction that isn't self-induced. I was asked multiple times to go on some mission trips, and I said no because my attitude was is we've got enough problems right here. We don't need to be involved with them. And then I went down to along the border in Mexico and it's not just there. I saw it in India. I saw it in Ecuador. But you get down there and we go across the border and I'm seeing children. Children that were born into this condition and children that are growing up in this condition and that children that don't know anything else but this condition. And you look at them and say... I'm not going to be able to alleviate all of their obstacles they're facing. But if I just show up and smile at them, maybe that's a way that I can be generous to them. We were there last uh, summer working on a church building and right there along the Rio Grande River, right there in Renosa, there was a company where they put they would um, make up these center blocks and some of them were made out of fly ash and some were made out of concrete, but they had these center blocks set up and so we went up there, Arturo was the man that we were working with, uh, went up there with Arturos to get these blocks loaded and there was a couple of guys that were working in there and they were helping us load up these blocks that we were taking back to do this construction and so um, through Arturo, uh, my Spanish is not there yet, but through Arturo, I. Asked you know, where is this guy from? And so Arturo started engaging the guy in conversation. And the guy shared that he was actually from Cuba. Six months ago, he had fled Cuba because of the conditions of Cuba, had made it from Cuba to the coast of Mexico, and for the last six months has been making his way by foot, all the way up to Reynosa, in a hope and a desire to be able to immigrate into the United States. And so I said, well, why six months? Well, because he would go for a little ways and have to stop, work, get enough resources to be able to move on, and I said, do you have a family? I have a family. And I said, well, what's the idea? Well, the idea is if I can get to the United States, I can get the means and the wherewithal that I can and bring my family or send resources back to help my family. Um So then we said, well, in the last six months, has anybody told you about Jesus? And he said, no, no one's told me about Jesus. I sat there and watched Arturo tell him about Jesus. The man prayed with Arturo, bowed his head, made a profession of faith right there. We gave him some money. We gave him some uh, biblical literature, said we'd be praying for him. The rest of that week as we'd drive by and he'd be out there working, he'd always wave real big at us. And I'm thinking, that guy could have lied to us. But you know, the $20 to me isn't the same as the $20 to him. And church, we weren't called to neglect generosity. We were called to be generous. And I believe that based upon James chapter 1, we need to be woke to what generosity looks like. I realize there will always be people trying to fraud us. (laughs) I've I've been in the church long enough that people have a circuit. And they're always calling, I need this, I need this. Those are out there, but you know what? It's God's money. It's God's resources. And they're going to stand before God one day and give an account to how they lied to the people of God and misuse the blessings that God had given them. I mean, they're going to answer for that. Does that mean that I just sign over all of the money that my family has and just say, here, no, you need to be wise. But at the same time, the danger is, is that in a, in a desire to not be taken, if you will, we just don't be generous. We're on the football bus on Memorial Road in Penn. Years ago, and there was even then they had the panhandlers. I mean you go down there on Memorial Road and you have the panhandlers in every block. And we were sitting there on the bus, and there was a panhandler outside the window, and Ty Hole took a ten-dollar bill and he watered it up real tight and he threw it out the bus window at the panhandler trying to give the guy some money. I mean, he couldn't get off the bus and go hand it directly. The panhandler wasn't going to come on where Ty could hand it out the door. He threw it out there, and like he was trying to hit Wayne Webb, but it landed about Denise and it rolled a little bit. The panhandler thought that Ty was throwing trash at him, so he began to be vulgar toward Ty, because he assumed that Ty was throwing trash at him Ty is trying to yell and explain to him that's a $10 bill light turned green, <laughs> the bus begins to take off, and Ty is yelling at the window, there's money there there's money there, and the guy completely oblivious assumes that it's trash, and when we drove off, Never, we never saw the guy go pack up, back and pick up the money you know, sometimes we think, well I'm not going to be generous, because they're not going to appreciate it, they're not going to recognize it What Scripture tells us is not to be generous because of them, we're to be generous because of God. God's been generous to us. And God's been faithful to us. And so to me sometimes we start to define generosity based upon the response of the person we're trying to be generous to or we try to define that this is what generosity can look like and if they don't respond in this way or they don't react in that way then that gives an excuse not to be generous. And I, I believe based upon the word of God that we as a church we should be woke to generosity. We should be aware of the needs to be generous. We should be aware of those that are in need. We should be aware of the situations that are going around us because we have an opportunity to be generous all the time. Maybe monetarily. Maybe with your time and your labor. Maybe with just listening to what they have to say. We need to be generous. Fast forward back over to the left, back to Matthew chapter 25. There's a a third way that I would encourage us as a church to be woke, and that is to be woke to service. I think that we should be woke to mercy. I think that we should be woke to generosity. I also think we should be woke to service. In this passage, again, I'm not going to read it in its entirety, but Jesus is sitting there, uh, more of what people would call the Olivet Discourse, and He is talking about this final judgment to come. And he says that he's going to divide the left and the right, the sheep from the goats. He says in verse 33, he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you clothed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. One of the things that I think Jesus is trying to emphasize there is that many times by serving other people, we are serving Christ. We have no idea, as Hebrews 13 tells us, we have no idea who it is that we are ultimately serving. We have no true... Hebrews 13 reminds us that sometimes we entertain angels unawares. This idea that sometimes we have no idea who God is using, how God is working, and we may not know the effect of what is going to be done, but we must understand that there are always ways for us to serve. Part of that wokeness is being aware to the injustices, being aware to the needs, being aware to uh, the the problems, the, the situations, the cultural mores, if you will, this idea that we should be awoke to service because God has called us to serve. If I'm going to serve, I'm going to have to be aware of what God's wanting me to serve. And how does God want me to serve? Who does God want me to serve? It tells us right there in this passage that, God's, that, that Jesus is looking at these believers and saying, listen, it's not that you just served me on Sunday. It's that you serve the poor, you serve the needy, you serve the hungry, you serve the impoverished, you serve those that were sick, you served those that were in prison, you served the people. And by serving the people, you were serving Me. I think sometimes we need to ask ourselves, who are we serving? We come in on Sundays and we say, well, I'm serving God on Sundays. And that's great. But who else are we serving? How else are we serving? What ways are we serving the people around us in the community? What ways are we serving? lost in what ways are we service 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 or being a service to those in need around us how are we serving others I think sometimes we just are we choose to be unaware we choose to be ignorant we choose to not think about who it is that we are serving and how can we best serve them a couple of the dangers is that sometimes you think, well, if I serve, then if I just become a piggy bank or I just become an ATM machine and I'm just giving them stuff, then I'm not teaching them. talks about teach a man to fish and you'll feed him for a year, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day kind of thing. And I realize there are both sides of that angle, but one of the things that we must resist is coming to this attitude that we're just not going to serve, period. Now, I've got a book up there on the bookshelf called When Helping Hurts. And the whole book is about how sometimes in our desire to help people or serve people, we can actually um, hurt people in their situation or hurt them in their status or hurt them in their, uh, in, in their state in life. And I understand that sometimes we need to be wise and we, we need to be thoughtful about that. But we also need to be woke the fact that people are needing to be served. And God has called us to serve, to serve this community. So maybe it shouldn't be a question of if we should, but maybe the better question should be, how should we? And sometimes we get pretty insulated, thinking, well, we serve them by them coming here. In this passage, it's not because they came to church. It's because the church went to them. And ultimately, one day, we will all stand before Christ and give an account and answer for our service. They are standing before Christ in this picture. And Christ is saying, you didn't serve them. And that was a reflection of you. I think there's a questions we need to ask. How it is that we as an individual, we as a church, serve them. Because we should be woke to service. But then there's the last one. 1 Timothy chapter 1. There's a, there's a last way, where there's many ways that we could talk to, many ways that we can look at, but here's the last one that I want to uh, point you to this evening when it comes to us being woke as a church. Us being aware of the needs. Us being aware of the injustices. Us being aware of the circumstances. Us being aware of the reality around us. We should be woke to the gospel. Now I get this here in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul is writing what some would say is kind of his farewell address. 1 Timothy 2 Timothy. He's writing to Timothy. People would say that he's in prison there in Rome. He's awaiting his execution. He's writing to his young protege and there in verse 15 he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience and His example to those who are to believe in Him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. And you may say, well Spence, how, how, how do we live as we are woke to the Gospel? Well, I would articulate that part of being woke to the Gospel is that we are aware that all of us are sinners. I'm not a better sinner than you. You're not a better sinner than me. And every single one of us need the grace and mercy of God in our lives. Romans 3.23 makes it very clear that all have sinned. And being woke to the gospel recognizes that the greatest need of anybody in this world is to have a saving knowledge and faith in Jesus Christ. So we understand that this gospel is for everyone, regardless of your gender, regardless of your identity, regardless of your background, regardless of your experience, regardless of your zip code, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your personality. Everyone, everyone not only needs to hear the gospel, but needs to respond to the gospel. Every single person. And sometimes we can start to think that we can only minister to people that we can speak to. Well, I don't know how to relate to that person. Okay, well, I'm not asking you to talk baseball with that person. I'm not asking you to talk vocation with that person. I'm asking you to talk about Jesus with that person. I'm asking you to talk about the gospel. I'm going to tell you there are times that we have been down, whether it's Ecuador or India or, or Mexico, and you get down there and you're like, I have nothing in common with these people. I have nothing to relate to. I don't live like they live. I don't work where they work. I don't have the same experiences they have. I, I, don't, I don't have anything in common with them. They still need to hear about Jesus. And there are people right around us here in this town that may not have the same job that you do. May not have grew up in the same household that you grew up in. But they still need to hear about Jesus. And sometimes we can lose that awareness of what the Gospel does, why the Gospel is needed, and we sometimes lose sight that this Gospel message, not only does it unite us, but it also reconciles us to God. It, it commands us to share it with other people. It instructs us in then how we do live and it reminds us that this gospel message is not something that we keep to ourselves, but it's something that we share with everyone around us. The idea of the taking the red pill, being woke, so then for you can be an advocate for wokeness, it should be the same way when it comes to Christianity. You're lost and either you can take the blue pill and stay lost or you can take the red pill and get saved. But once you take the red pill and once you give your life to Christ, then therefore it's not a matter of just going back to the ho-hum as usual. It's not just going back to the same routine. Now that you've taken the red pill, you're not advocate. Now you address it. Now you speak to it. Now you proclaim it and say, Hey, I want everybody to know what's going on. I want everybody to know, yes, there is division. Yes, there is injustice. Yes, there is racism as it is defined. Yes, there are all these negative things that are out there. Yes, this system is broken. Policy's is not going to fix it. Government's not going to fix it. Politics aren't going to fix it. Man is not going to fix it. The gospel is the only answer and the only solution. And I think we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware that yes, there is great division. Well, I think we got 16 days is the last countdown, I think. 16, 15 days. And some people think, oh, I just can't wait for these 15 days to get over with. I don't think the 15 days is just going to be over with. I, I don't think that it's even going to end. I don't care who wins and whenever it's determined that whoever wins. I don't think It's not going to go away. It's not that these, these, these concerns, the, these divisions, they're not just going to evaporate as soon as a different person's in the White House going to happen as long as we have fallen people living in a fallen world. And I think it's important for us to be woke enough to say we are aware that the only true answer that we have to give this culture is the gospel of Jesus Christ. To say I realize that we are divided. I realize that there is deep-seated division. I realize that there is hurt on both sides. I realize that there is responsibility on both sides. I realize that people are always looking for answers and people are always looking for someone to blame. Or someone to take responsibility. I realize that is out there, but let me tell you, all that is going to remain until Christ comes back. We need to be woke enough to say the answer is not. The answer is not social policies. The answer is the biblical gospel. In other words, the goal of the Christian life is not to just be a label in the world, but to be the light of the world. That's what we're told to do in Matthew 14, to be a light into the entire world for people to be able to see where we're at. And so one of the things that I I think is imperative upon us, I, I encourage us, is that when we think about this wokeness, we need to look at it and go, instead of looking at it and saying, yeah, these weirdos, they're speaking to what they're perceiving as being the reality. People say, Spence, are you woke? Absolutely, I'm woke. I'm saved been enlightened. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Once upon a time I was dark in my sin. Once upon a time I was lost in my sin. Once upon a time I was darkened to the things of God. But then God drew me. God saved me. My mind has been illuminated and now I have been woke from that lethargy of sin, that bondage to sin, that eternity of damnation and now I am now a born again believer son of the most high God absolutely I am woke. What about the injustices? What about the situations culturally and socially we're facing? Absolutely I am aware that there is great division that needs to be addressed. Absolutely I understand that there is guilt on both sides. I understand that the church could be doing a better job. Absolutely I am aware that this world is hurting, that this world is broken, that this world is fractured. Absolutely I am aware of the injustices justices that have taken place. I remember I was in high school and I want to say it was Don Williams was nominated for homecoming was one of the homecoming queen candidates at the basketball homecoming and along that there was and I can't, I try to remember his name but there was a black a black guy that was nominated as one of the king candidates. <laughs> voting hadn't taken place. Nothing had been announced but the uproar that came out at the possibility the possibility of her being the queen and him being the king. Because, you know, at the coronation there's a kiss, a little peck. <laughs> used to be, used to be. There's always a little peck. And the thought, oh the thought that you would have a black boy kissing a white girl. Oh. And the the response of this community of people on both sides and people being divided whether that should be right whether that should be wrong and where they stood and, and all that division that came up Spence are you aware of that? I'm absolutely aware of that I don't endorse it I denounce it I, absolutely I'm aware of it and it's not right what are you going to do about it? tell them about Jesus Jesus Tell them about when we're in Christ, we're all together. We're all one in Christ. I mean, address it in a gospel way. So let me, I know I'm running out of time quickly, but, but why does this matter? So so what am I asking you to do? I, I want to give you some encouragement when we think about, I want to give you encouragement not only to know these terminologies, to know what some of the ways that people will use these phrases, these ideas. I want you to be aware of them because those will be something that I think we'll continually encounter. But I also want you to have, a, uh, have some uh, maybe some grounds to say uh, yeah, we don't have to hide from it. We don't have to run from it. We definitely don't have to turn our nose up at it. Let's just think how we're going to respond to it as, as a Christian. But but then tonight, why does it matter? <clears throat> what am I asking you to do? Well there's four action steps that I want to that I wrote down. The first one is that we need to grieve over the reality. We shouldn't rejoice in division. We shouldn't take we shouldn't be glad about the things that are taking place. None of us Should get giddy over the police officer, the George Floyd, the death of a person created in God's image in Minneapolis. None of us should be happy about that. Whether you think it was justified, unjustified, whether you think it was right, it was wrong, none of us should be happy. We should grieve. Over the fact that right now as a culture, right now as a society, there is great division to the point of hostility and animosity. We we should grieve over the fact that we have such marked division, not just in our communities, but in our churches. Tony Evans, pastor down there in Dallas, Texas, well-known preacher, I've heard him say before that the most segregated hour of the week is Sunday morning. So they say, well, "What do you what do you do, Spence? I, you know what I do I get up and I say that we should be focused on the glory of God and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we going to go out and recruit minorities? Are we going to go out and recruit people that look differently than us? We're not going to have a vote. We're not going to have a recruiting booth, I mean, it, but make sure that when people come in, that we are serving God and we are glorifying God and we are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That way, no matter what they come in." language, it doesn't matter. They know they are welcome and they don't sense that we are perpetuating those divisions. We should grieve over the reality. We should also seek the opportunity. How can we address the problems that we're facing? How can we act on the problems that we're facing? How can we be involved I'm not saying involved from a social standpoint. I'm I'm saying involved from a kingdom standpoint. Look for those opportunities. Look for those opportunities to serve. Look for those opportunities to show mercy. Look for those opportunities to be generous. Look for those opportunities to point people to Jesus. Look for the opportunities. It's not just a matter of saying, well, when Spence tells us to do something, we'll go do it. (laughs) the committee decides on a name or the committee decides on an activity then we'll do it you don't have to wait for someone in the church to tell you to address a need you can seek an opportunity by yourself when you see somebody in need or you see somebody hurting or you see somebody that is in that position not only grieve a reality but then seek the opportunity and then thirdly address the deficiency ignoring it's not going to make it go away ignoring it does not alter reality. When Morpheus is sitting there offering Neo the red pill or the blue pill, the reality is not going to change whether he took the red or the blue pill. It was just his perception of the reality would change. I think sometimes we get insulated where all we do is listen to the people that agree with us we do is conversate with people just like us. All we do is surround ourselves with like-minded individuals. And then we wonder why we are so ignorant of other things around us. Here a couple Sundays ago, Toby and I got in a discussion on school choice. We had different positions on the subject. We had a pretty spirited debate there for a couple hours. At the, the dinner table in my parents house about school choice challenged me, where am I at? So I told him this last week. I said, I've listened to probably six hours of his side of articulating their position on school choice. Not because I wanted to, because I kept wanting to say, I don't want to believe this, I don't want to agree with this, I don't want to have this attitude, but I want to be, be at least aware enough to listen to the other side. Because if all I do is just assume that everybody looks and thinks and acts like me, then I'm going to miss the vastness of the world around us. And I'm going to miss those opportunities. I think we need to address the deficiencies. So when we see the need, we address the needs. I I think that there is a certain amount of responsibility to lay on the church. The fact that DHS takes care of our children. When did that get farmed out from the church? I don't know. I mean, I understand when it comes to the loss, but we have a lot of Christians and people in the church that whenever problems come in the home, DHS takes care of it and the church kind of backs off and says, oh, not our problem anymore. That wasn't what was mandated in Scripture. You think about food stamps, feeding the poor, feeding the impoverished. When did that, when did the church hand that off? I don't see that in Scripture. Why is it that the nonprofit organizations are oftentimes doing a better job of meeting the poor, the unjust, the impoverished around us than the church is? It's because we're not addressing the deficiencies around us. And then this last one, we'll have a time of conversation. I think we need to always be mindful that we are called to live faithfully. To live faithfully. And that means that we're always looking for ways on how it is that we are not living for ourselves, not living for our desires, not living for our wants, not living for our priorities, but we're living for the kingdom of God and we're living in such a way that when we stand before God one day, you think about a Matthew chapter 25 context, we're standing before God and God is separating us out. He separates the sheep from the goats, the left from the right, and He separates us out. And that we are living in such a way that when we get separated, number one, we're not confused at where we're at. Because there's going to be people that are on the left thinking they should have been on the right. (laughs) There's going to be goats that think they were sheep. there's going to be a lot of questions saying, whoa, we're not supposed to be here. We're supposed to be over there. And Jesus says, no, you're not. I know where you're at. I don't know who you are. And number one, I think we need to understand that we need to be living in such a way that when that time comes and the sheep are separate from the goats, we're not surprised. And also, that when He says that you minister to me by ministering to these people we should be able to say yeah and I can tell you their names I can tell you their faces I can tell you when and where that we did this because we lived in such a way that we are faithful to those that God had called us to be faithful to I think all of that is encompassed in the definition of being woke now you're going to hear other definitions and other applications of the word in a in a different sense if you're in this world and people talk about being woke I would encourage you to frame the conversation by saying yeah I'm woke and let me tell you how I'm woke I'm woke to mercy I'm woke to generosity I'm woke to service I'm woke to the gospel I am woke to the kingdom of God because I'm aware of what God has called me to do